Welcome to Playmakers, everyone. I'm Haley Elwood. It's week two. The Dallas Cowboys are coming into LA to face the Chargers for the Bolts home opener. So joining me today is Jory Epstein. She is USA Today's NFL reporter who also covers those Dallas Cowboys. Jory, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Haley. Excited to be here. Yeah, so we will get to this matchup. It should be a really good one, but I kind of wanted to backtrack, start a little bit with you and your role. Like I said, you cover the Cowboys, but you also cover the broader NFL. What is it kind of like to focus on both simultaneously? Yeah, it's a great question. I often tell people that during the season, I would say my... I'm usually about 90, 95% Cowboys focused. And then when you get into the off season and lately the postseason, given yeah. the Cowboys luck, then I'm about half and half, which I like because I think that especially relatively early in my career to be able to go deep on a subject, then I can really try and master it. But then once I understand who the Cowboys are as people and as an organization and what the trends are, how can I go tell the stories in a broader league, whether that's as you and I have discussed, looking into scouting trends, looking into, I remember one of my favorite stories I wrote last year, which was so random, but Patrick Mahomes signs his extension. And if you remember, Schefter was actually scooped by the liquor store manager. Right. Someone from the Chiefs organization had gone in to buy some Dom Perignon. And so I'm calling the liquor store and talking to her about what it was like figuring out that Schefter's coming in and, and and that was fun and it was something random and quirky, but just trying to find that niche. And other times it's more serious, like following the victim of uh, Chiefs former linebackers coach Britt Reed's car or car crash and the spy world who's in a coma and staying in touch with her, with her family. But I think, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Haley, so much of covering the NFL and sports is covering people in a society. Yeah. And so I like that this just allows us to explore those angles in different ways. That's such a great point. And one of those stories you mentioned was on scouting. It was about the 12 female scouts that are currently in the NFL. I loved it. And I'm so excited to talk to you about that piece because you said in your story, they're not really breaking barriers. They're thriving in this world right now and in this league. But what did it mean to tell their story and really share it? Absolutely. It's funny. I tend to get a little overambitious with my reporting sometimes. So I ended up talking to 12 women for this story, all of whom are in scouting. And it was fun because I think I mean, I'm excited to talk to scouts generally and women generally, and then you put them together and it was like, yes, this was a story about a, a trend of, of women empowerment and understanding women can do this job. But it was also a story where we got a lot of X's and O's in scouting in a way that scouts often aren't willing to share on the record. And I think I know of at least three women who have been promoted in scouting departments since. And so I think what that tells you is it's not just that people are giving women this opportunity, but they're doing well with it. Cause you don't just promote someone to be nice. Like all of these teams have their jobs on their lines. The general managers do. And I think the more I understood it, like people were telling me, okay, men aren't born knowing how to scout there. Yes. There's a degree that if you played football, you're going to have certain knowledge. There are also things like learning how to write reports, learning how to get as much information as possible and learning how to do the, the ins and outs of the job that are not gender specific. And these women were showing they had a really sharp mind for the game, a really sharp ability to build relationships. And they were an asset to the organizations because of that. I love that you brought that up because you did write, look, Coaching and playing football, it's not always a prereq. I mean, we know men in this industry who didn't do that. But the key yeah. thing is that you mentioned, it is your ability to understand the game, have knowledge of the game, and your ability to build relationships. Like when you talk with scouts, I mean, we have obviously great ones in our building who I've built, I myself have built relationships with over the years. So much of it is fact finding, not only about the player, but about, you know, their personal life, talking to their, you know, coaches, teachers, friends, family, whoever it is. 
But when you look at kind of adding women to these roles, how does that diversity and inclusion really benefit a scouting room as a whole? Yeah, it's a great point. And what you're saying is so true, because the more I learned about the scouting process, the more I felt it very similar to the reporting process. Yeah. Where we end up is very different. And I don't think that just because I have able, I've had some success in reporting means I will automatically have some in scouting. I think that it's, they're different skill sets, but the processes have a lot of similarities. I think what's interesting is that, well, one, generally, these general managers, I know Brandon Bean with the Bills being one, were telling me, we don't want all players. We don't want all people with coaching background. We don't want no players. We don't want no people with coaching backgrounds. They want to make sure that all of their scouts and their coaches and everyone on their staff is complementing each other. So this really is more about like business philosophy than football. It's pretty across the board. And these women were bringing different backgrounds. Also, so, okay, of the women I talked to, one played softball in college, another ran track for LSU. So they had not, the track one had an understanding of hip tightness that she was talking about with running backs that the coaches really liked. The one who played softball was looking at some of the mechanics. They also, as uh, former college athletes, were able to connect deeply with some of these prospects because they're like, yeah, I had this D1 experience. And some of these women had incredible opportunities in their college football departments in operations and recruiting, mm-hmm. uh, figuring out the analytics. And, and then one of my favorites, who you probably heard of, Kathleen Wood, was a private detective for years. But because of that, she's just a heck of a good fact finder. And that's really valuable. So, And then she worked for the Senior Bowl, really sharpening up the football side. And now she's working for the Browns. So I think there are so many different ways that they brought their unique skill sets and unique life experiences to the organizations. But they did. And just like you and I and everyone we work with, bring something different to the workplace. These women were doing that in scouting departments. Yeah, I love that because we obviously have our roles now, but I didn't start in this role. You know what I mean? You kind of start in other roles. And and I I have told the story a lot on this podcast. I worked at a dance studio for over a decade, but learning how to talk to people helped with interview skills, whether I was working at the front desk with parents. So like being a PI, like, hello, that helps you huge in that department of having to work and kind of find that information. Oh, 100%. And actually, like something I, I've done outside of USA Today is I wrote the memoir of a Holocaust survivor. Yes. It was interesting because, I mean, it's actually there, but people were telling me they're like, that's so different from what you do. And I'm like, to me, trying to understand people and who they are and their stories and how I can gain their trust so they'll tell their story candidly, it's the same across the board. Now, granted, I'm not comparing the details in the two stories to each other or the adversity faced. I think everyone has their own story. But I think the skill sets are consistent. And that's actually something I love about our jobs is that I feel like one, so much of life makes us a better reporter. And then I'm like, I think reporting makes us better. I mean, I'm not like makes us better at life, but I I think it allows us to think more thoughtfully about how we're interacting in our personal lives. And that's really fun. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. We know that obviously representation matters. Chargers GM, Tom Telesco, he's the father of a daughter. He actually was out at a Chargers flag football camp that they held a few weeks ago for local Girl Scouts. It was an all-girls flag football camp. And he said, look, some of you out here, you might catch the bug to eventually work in football because other women are doing it. Girls are getting introduced to the game at a younger age, playing the game at a younger age. What do you think is next for women's roles in the NFL? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly we have not had a woman who's a general manager. Mm-hmm. I think that that versus like ascending the coaching ranks seems more likely. 
For several reasons. Um, I think there are a couple women who got promoted, both of whom I talked to for this story, Kelly Klein, who went from the Vikings to now work with the Broncos, and Catherine Raich with the Philadelphia Eagles, formerly of the CFL and the XFL, um, who have shown the ability to just really hit on a lot of different areas that we want. Um, I think that there's continued growth. I think part of this is about titles and and I want women to have the same opportunity and be considered for men. But part of it is also about growth and responsibilities and and covering more ground for each of us. I mean, I think in the reporting landscape, I'm so blessed to have come in at a time. I mean, for us, like, and I I think you're involved in the Association for Women in Sports Media as well. And it's like when I think about the mentorship I've had there and the people who paved the way, it's just not comparable what we can do now versus what could be done 40, 50 years ago as a woman in the industry. So I think that these roles will continue to expand. I mean, a lot of these women will tell you, like, we don't want it to be newsworthy that we're the first. We don't want to be the first. We want to make sure not only are we the first, but we're not the last. Um, and and I think that we'll just continue to, to see that growth. And what I always think about is, look, we want each woman to be evaluated on her merits, just like we want anyone. But when you're part of a minority group, as women are, particularly in this industry, then we represent everyone. So the, the cool thing about that is if we succeed, it can empower other women to get these opportunities. If we don't, it's usually reflected on other women. And I think that that's a fun responsibility to carry. It is. That's a really, really good way of putting that. I like that because it definitely is. And, and like to that point too, you know, when I came in, I remember when I had first started with the Chargers, There was Marty Caswell in the locker room and then MJ Acosta, who's now with NFL Network. She was working for a local station in San Diego at the time. And MJ always tells the story. She's like, hey, I saw you. And I was like, we're going to be friends. Like, we're going to do this together. But now you go in, you see, you know, a press box or so many more women. And like, again, to that point, you're kind of helping pave that generation that it isn't really something you talk about anymore because you're just in it. And younger women are going to be part of it eventually, too. Right. And sometimes I'll have an experience at work where I feel like I dealt with a situation that was that I had to uniquely think about because I'm a woman. And then I'll try and text one of my friends who's a woman who's a younger reporter being like, hey, just dealt with a here's how I handled it in case you ever encounter it. And like, will they take the advice? They may never be in the situation or they may not have the same advice. But the more we can give each other these cheat sheets, like we're going and and I'm so blessed that I think they're incredible incredible men who work in this organization. So it's not an either or, but there are going to be things we face that are different. And I think the more we can support each other and show each other what the blueprint is, the better off we'll be. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to this game. I believe you were at the week one game last year between the Rams and the Cowboys at SoFi. As I said, this is the Chargers first home game with fans. What'd you think of the stadium when you were there a year ago? Okay, I, I'm glad you bring that up because I'm so fascinated to see the difference. The stadium's monstrous, and yeah. I'm saying that as someone who lives in Dallas and covers games at Jerry World most often. Um, it's beautiful architecturally. I mean, part of the fun of seeing it with no fans is that you could really see the stadium mm-hmm. through the stadium. But it was definitely bizarre that not only I mean, press boxes are always a little bit weird, and if, if they don't, if they're not open to the stadium. But I mean, we were watching a game and no one's there. There's not a lot of volume. I think it was like Sunday night football. And I'm like, I think fans at home are probably feeling the, the energy more than people here. Yeah. Not because the guys weren't playing and doing their best, but it was just a bizarre situation, even if it was what the pandemic dictated. And I understood that. Um, so I'm really excited to see what this stadium is going to look like with fans and also the differences between a Rams game there and a Chargers game there. So I'm expecting a pretty different experience from what we got last year, week one, when the 
Rams beat the Cowboys. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun just getting fans in that building. So this week two matchup, it's a good one. The Chargers are coming off a win. The Cowboys have had a couple extra days to get over that sort of salty loss that they had to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do you make of this matchup overall? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think when I see the numbers of how well the Chargers protected Justin Herbert from pressure, I don't think that bodes well for the Cowboys defense because they had zeros. And again, what what's funny is that I think that they will face some of the same issues for very different reasons as they face okay. against the Bucks because I think Tom Brady and Justin Herbert have very different strengths, but both of them are playing at a high level right now with an offensive line that's protecting them at a high level right now. And the Cowboys, although they did manage to get four takeaways in that game last week, which was uncharacteristic for this defense, they still they let up big plays in the passing game. They didn't generate enough of a pass rush. Uh, they had no sacks on Tom Brady, very few pressures. And I, we asked Dan Quinn about that yesterday, the Cowboys defensive coordinator. And he said to him, it's not just about sacks, but he does want to see that the, the quarterback is affected more. And then Dan told us, he said two things that really stand out to him with Justin Herbert is one, just that big, strong arm that he can make the throws and two, how athletic he is. So Dan says, I'm essentially preparing my players to play against two plays every play because the one he can initially make. And then if he escapes and extends the play, what's coming next. So I think this Cowboys defense is a work in progress. And I think that Justin Herbert is going to give them quite the test. It is a really fun quarterback matchup though. When you look at Justin Herbert and you also look at Dak Prescott, Prescott, I read had 58 pass attempts. Herbert had 47. Yeah. A lot of action through the air might happen in this one. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fascinating. I think, again, that's probably partially um, reflective of where the league is going. But I think with these two quarterbacks in the games, they just faced even more so. And Dak played at a really high level. And, we he, won, and, and he played at a high level had he come off perfectly healthy. He was coming back after 11 months from two ankle surgeries, a shoulder strain, or a strain in the latissimus muscle that was affecting his shoulder. And he's playing at that level. And granted, um, we talked to offensive coordinator Kellen Moore on, on Monday, and he was saying, I actually called 28 runs. Dak checked out of 12 of them. So it'll be interesting to see what's going on here. But I definitely think that if that's what the defenses dictate, we will see a lot more passes again. So rewinding back to week one of last season, when the Cowboys played the Rams, they went up against Brandon Staley's defense, which he's now brought to the Chargers. What kind of challenges does that defense present? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's also, again, always interesting, both when you see a coach again and when you see a personnel. And that's what... Uh, Kellen Moore was saying, he's like, we're looking at what Staley did last year. We're looking at the first game. We're looking at the preseason that you can't tell a little so much. Um, I will say in that first game last year, the passing game didn't have a lot of success. And particularly Jalen Ramsey was really difficult matchup. And I think that I know Dur Derwin's a safety, but I think Derwin James is going to be a threat in this passing game, which is how the Cowboys had all the production last week. Um, Ezekiel Elliott had a really strong game in SoFi last year. And so it'll be interesting to see if he can do that again, if he can kind of gut through the defensive line again. I think that this Cowboys offensive line has moving parts and you don't really want moving parts when you're facing a Bosa brother, much yeah. less Jerry. Um, And so I think that that will be a problem. I think that they'll need their tight ends chipping, but I do think that we will see more Ezekiel Elliott and more run game than we saw against the Buccaneers in week one. So lastly, these two teams last met on Thanksgiving in 2017. I was there. I still talk about the stuffing waffle that I had with the Jerry World Thanksgiving spread, which was 
awesome and amazing. But getting to that Bosa brother, you had tweeted, or I guess retweeted something that he had said about Tyron Smith. He called him a cartoon character, a test tube baby. I read he didn't allow a pressure in week one, nor did Chargers left tackle Rashawn Slater. So we talked a little bit about pressure, but what's maybe another deciding factor or other factors that you think will be big parts of this game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think pressure, I think for the Cowboys, the red zone has been a problem and they are able to get the production, but not really finish that off. And so I think the question is, can they take that next step? I think also something that's interesting and Chargers fans are all too familiar with it is there's something to be said for figuring out how to win a game just yeah. at the end of the game, which the Chargers obviously couldn't do for years. And they did last week against Washington and the Cowboys have not yet done. And so, I mean, Dak Prescott, again, is throwing for 400 something yards and he did that in the games. He was healthy last year, but they kept putting up all these numbers and not winning in the end and not winning on the road. And so I want to see, I mean, I guess Dak personally, I don't believe has won on the road since 2019. So I want to see can Dak and the Cowboys take that next step? Can Mike McCarthy's Cowboys figure out how to go over the hump because the chargers know what that feels like, but doing it once gives you the confidence and teaches you how to do it the next time. So is, are the chargers going to build on that in week two or are the Cowboys going to figure out how to break that trend? That's something I'm really interested to see. We're so excited. Can't wait to have you out here and officially meet you in person, but Joy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being part of this. Thanks for having me. Haley. look forward to seeing y'all this weekend.